Amen. Hallelujah. Can all bow our heads and let's pray to the Lord. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how thankful we are this morning, Lord, that you have gathered us once again. Many people may be lying in their beds today. Many people may be doing some things that seems to be so important for them. But Lord, you have desired that we will be here this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, it's also our desire that you place in our hearts that we will be here together with the saints who has the heart to worship you. And we believe, Lord, that you are here in our midst this morning. It's not the place, it's not the people, but it's the Holy God that makes this place the holy. And so I pray, Father God, that you let your Holy Spirit sweep upon this place. May you have full eminence, preeminence, Lord, in this place. Take a hold of our hearts this morning. Take a hold of our minds this morning. May you put away anything in our life, Lord, that will not be pleasing in your sight. Because we believe, Lord, that we cannot face you if there are iniquities in our hearts. And so I pray, Father God, as the word is preached, may you again speak to our hearts as you have done in the many services in this pulpit, in this church, Lord. I pray that, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will have the liberty, Lord, to move among your people. May I just be an instrument in your hands, Lord, that you may bless the people. You may, Lord, meet their needs. Even I, the preacher, need your help, Lord. I am as needful as my brothers and my sisters, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you have just given me the privilege, the opportunity, Lord, to stand in this pulpit once again. And may you get all the glory, Lord, in this service, for I ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. I'd like to greet you all in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm thankful once again. I'm thank you. Uh, I'd like to thank the Lord that uh, he has given me again the opportunity to be here with you. Last Friday, uh, we had the service here. And uh, uh, for me, it's like always a homecoming time if I go to Cloverdale because I have uh, worked here. I'm not here actually in the Philippines, but uh, it's a, a satellite office of the mission office of uh, Cloverdale Bible Way. And so uh, it's always a privilege that uh, I, I have the chance to go here and uh, be with you. So can I uh, ask you first to be seated as I uh, give some greetings before we go to the preaching of the word, if you will allow me. Uh, I'd like just to uh, acknowledge uh, our, of course, our pastor here, Brother Biscal, for uh, giving me again the chance to be here. And I uh, thank you. I thank them for the hospitality that they have extended to me and to my wife. And we arrived uh, last Thursday night. Of course, Brother Tom and Sister Jovan, and they were so uh, uh, caring for us, uh, Brother Biscal and Sister Ruth. And uh, it's always, as I said, it's always like a homecoming time for me when I go here uh, to Cloverdale. So um, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm humbled by the way we are treated and uh, seeing the ministers here once again, Brother Tom, Brother John, Brother Tim, Brother Murphy, whom uh, I, I admire very much, all of them, because uh, they have done a good work in the in the ministry. Of course, Brother Ernie, my good friend, who has been in the Philippines for more than 25 times and has been a mentor to me in the ministry that uh, I'm handling since then until today. 
And so the office of the Bible believers there have closed since 2009, but uh, we have, I still maintain communication with Brother Ernie for many years, and to that I'm very thankful. And uh, as uh, Brother Tom was telling, we had a wonderful night last night with the Filipino community here, and uh, it's good to feel the Philippine hospitality in a different country. Okay. And brother, I think brother Tim was asking me how was the food last night, and I said I think it tastes familiar, <laughs> yeah. because eating Filipino food in Canada it's uh, something uh, I did not really miss because I just came from the Philippines. But uh, we we are, we are thankful that I can be able to eat uh, Filipino food because uh, in the next few days I'll still be here around and uh, uh, be traveling to the U.S. after this. Uh, maybe spend a couple of Sundays in other churches that has invited me, and then we'll go, I'll, uh, I'll be going back to the Philippines. So uh, we are thankful once again, and uh, I hope that um, uh, the Lord will bless us this morning. I believe that all of us here came uh, with expectations in our hearts. Amen. But the prophet always says that if you expect to be blessed, then we will be blessed. You expect uh, to look for something to criticize, then you can look for something to criticize. So what our expectation is that uh, God will meet. And so I trust that this is a matured church and we have a, a spiritual expectation. Uh, you, you are, you're, you're used to having ministers here from different countries, from the, uh, with preachers of different nationalities. So uh, I will not be... I, I, I mean, I, I, I can feel at home preaching to you because I believe that... Uh, I hope you will understand my Filipino English accent. <laughs> okay. But uh, I'll try my best. Uh, that's what we do. We try to do our best and God will do the rest. And so I was, I was, uh, when I was asked to preach uh, for this service and last Friday and uh, tonight, I was praying as any other ministers do. They pray and ask for the inspiration from the Lord. And uh, of course, I tried to review how the, the Holy Spirit is moving in the congregation from the first for the first month of this year, and uh, watching uh, the the ministry here, just looking at their titles. How Brother Ed uh, spoke about how he came down, Brother John uh, speaking about God is constant, and so are his people, and that's uh, very true. And of course, we heard Brother Tim speaking about the signs and the seasons. And Brother Tom speaking about uh, seeking of the Son of Man. And Brother Murphy, I think that was the last service before I came, that the blood still speaks greater things. Amen. And so just listen, uh, looking at the, the subjects, you can, so, you can already discern the direction that the Lord is taking the congregation. And you know, uh, it's not an accident because if... You will look in other countries, like for example in our church we have different titles, but the, the, I think the, the general theme is almost all the same. It's all the same. So I want to share something to you, not really deep uh, things, but uh, these are things that uh, will give us, uh, add fuel to our journey in this life. <clears throat> and I was uh, thinking of this word about hope, and Brother Ryan just sung, us, uh, sang this song, that our hope is in the Lord. So I said, uh, I think that's the signal for me to go on with this topic. Because today I would like to speak on the subject, hope in the light of our destiny. We have, people have to have hope. And if you don't have a goal in life, you, you, you don't know your destiny, your, you don't know your direction. It's easy to, to, to fall out and lose hope in this life. Yeah. 
Some people say that uh, people, when they're still, uh, if there's still uh, hope, then they still can live. But I say it's the other way around. If people continue to live, if they have hope. Because if you stop having hope in your life, then you stop living. Right? And so we want to speak about this subject and uh, you know, when we, you talk about hope, sometimes the the best uh, book in the Bible to refer to is always the book of Job, right? Because you know, everybody knows the story of Job, uh, and uh, he, he he spoke so many things about you know being disappointed, being uh, disillusioned, but there's always hope. He always looks at something. And uh, can I invite you to to stand up once again? And uh, we will be reading from. I just put up some slides to make this a little bit easier for you to, you know, if you have visual aids, then uh, it's always good to have it. Okay. So we will, our opening text will be in Job chapter 14, verse 7 until verse 9. Okay. Job chapter 14, verses 7, 8, and 9. He says here that, For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again. Then the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of the water it will bud, and bring forth boughs like a plant. So this is like a typology uh, uh, of a, uh, the botanical life, the botany life, that uh, a tree can be cut down, but it will sprout again. That means there is hope. Right. Okay? We, we, we do not stop living when we die. Actually, it's just an entry to, to eternal life. Okay? So uh, the Lord really may bless uh, this uh, reading of the word, and we will now be seated. Amen. Okay, so our subject is hope in the light of our destiny. Hope in the light of our destiny. If you do not know your destiny, or let's put it in the positive uh, uh, aspect, knowing our destiny gives us hope for the future. Right? Last Friday we ended up on the on the note that we should keep moving forward. We should not stop. We should not uh, live in the glare of the past or the failures of the past. We should uh, uh, continue living on. And as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mystery of Christ revealed, we, we believe, right, that we are waiting for a rapture, the changing of the body. People are getting old. The first time I went here was in my mid-30s. But now I am in my early 50s. And, you know, we, we get old, we get tired, we get weary. And sometimes uh, it takes it toll, and sometimes we just... And I, I've seen people, I mean, believers, brothers and sisters, who have passed away, gone back to glory. And, you know, before the year 2000, I thought it would be the rapture already. But we are still here, right? And we are still uh, continuing, pressing on the battle. But we are looking for our destiny. And our destiny is the changing of the body. It's, 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 it's not earthbound. All right. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not something that uh, you can see in the near. In the but uh, it is something that you cannot. Uh, you cannot fathom. You cannot. People cannot understand it uh, clearly. But we, being the bride of Christ, have the revelation where we are going. Right. And now uh, we are living in this pest house, as the prophet said, and uh, 
uh, we believe that one day, if we still remain until the coming of the Lord, that He will change this vile body, make us a glorious one, from mortality to immortality, to from uh, corruptible body to incorruptible body. So, we don't have to worry about wrinkles coming in our face. We have to worry about gray hair coming out of our heads. But uh, we believe that this is just part of the process of human life, but eventually we will have a perfect picture of ourselves. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, I would like to, as an introduction, just to, to, to give you a little testimony. Uh, I was mentioning last Friday about mission works in Cambodia. And, you know, when you go to a certain country, you want to, to find out the culture. You want to study the history so you can know how to reach out for the people. You don't just go there and preach and give them the, the, the message and you don't even understand their culture. So when I went there, like, uh, I, I just like to, to study everything that happened in the past years before the message came to the country. And, uh, if we go there, uh, or, I mean, uh, in any mission field, when you, you, you go, you, you study the people, you study how they move, you study the way of their thinking and how they come about with that way of thinking. And, you know, in Cambodia, uh, this was popularized. Uh, uh, there, there, there's, there, there was some atrocities that were done in the mid-70s until the late 70s in Cambodia. It was called the Cambodia Genocide. It was uh, popularized by the movie back in the 1980s, Killing Fields. They, according to the to the reports, they have uh, at least 1.3 million people who died under this regime. No, okay. Just uh, this is this is a picture of the general Pol Pot, a tyrant in those times. He he led the Khmer Rouge in killing these people, all that were Chinese, Thailanders, Buddhists, and uh, Christian Cambodians. He ordered them to be killed, all right? And now they did, just, they did not just kill it by you know, firing a gun. They took bamboo sticks, uh, punched it into their heads. It was, it was horrible. And I had the chance of going to this killing fields. It's now a museum, actually. You can see the skulls, the bones, and everything. And if you go to the torture rooms, you can still see the blood stains on the floor. And sometimes we're going inside, and it's like you feel the spirit. There are goosebumps that you can feel. Of course, there's, the people are not there anymore, but you can sense, actually sometimes you can still smell something awful happened in that place. And when you go out of the museum of, of that place, the killing fields, uh, you will see there were, there are some old people in their 60s or in their 70s. These were the survivors of this time, of, of the time in the 1970s, and they wrote the, some books selling it to the tourists. Like, you know, they're... They're sharing the, the things that happened to them back in the 1970s, but they survived. So they were all good stories how they survived and how, uh, because they're clinging to a hope that one day this will all be over. Now a little bit background of General Pol Pot is communist based. Okay. He has a communist ideology and he wants to clean the whole world and start a new world like the anointing of Hitler. In the, in the UNICEF, they have the record that it's not just 1.3 million, it's about 3 million Cambodians died in that regime. But, uh, and thinking of that, that's like half of the number of Jews that were killed in the Holocaust, right? And so, this General Pol Pot, he, 
recruited all the people, men, women, to be soldiers, to carry out his order to kill all the people that doesn't believe his ideology. Okay? He ordered to all the trees to be cut, so it was very hot, no vegetation, no food. And not only that, he recruited young boys, aged from 10 to 15. And so, as I was saying, when you go out, you can see these old people, maybe they were young during those days, and now they're sharing their stories. But there's this particular story that I heard, that I heard about a young boy that was recruited, that was recruited from this, uh, in this army of Pol Pot, and he was just about 14, I think 13, between 13 to 15, I'm not sure. He was ordered and were given, you know, rifles just to shoot to the people that they want to kill. Okay, they open their graves, you, you, you dig your own graves, and there are these children like in the picture that you can see that uh, they're holding rifles and they were ordered to shoot the people. And these, these are not Christians. They don't know anything about God. So they were brainwashed. It's the same thing as the communist ideology of the communist rebels in the Philippines. From, the, from, from childhood, you're brainwashed that there's no God. You hate your parents. It's all about materialism. And so one of these young boy was recruited and he was just, you know, following orders. Instead of going to school or playing, he was holding rifle, killing people. See? And many years later, uh, when the Vietnamese came in, because they, they want to overthrow Pol Pot, and of course with the help of some uh, foreign intervention, uh, he was able to escape. He doesn't like what he was doing. So he tried to escape, went into the rice fields, threw, threw, threw away his gun, and eventually he was out of the sight. And so when the war ended in 1979, he was, he was already in the mountains, he was already away from the group. And many years later, maybe if we will count it from this time, maybe around 15 years ago, he, he became a Christian from a denomination. You know, sometimes God preserves a life for a purpose. See, he was looking for hope. He, he didn't know where her parents gone, her brothers, because it was a civil war. But now one day he found the Lord. And of course he will say, oh, that's good testimony. But listen to this, it will be better in the end. Because way back, I think in 2011 or 2012, there was, Brother Nestor started a seminar in Cambodia. And there was a pastor there who invited this young boy before who became a Christian. He attended that seminar. The one who invited him did not accept the message, but he accepted the message. Now imagine, he, he was, when he was young, he didn't know anything about the Lord. But the Lord knows what will happen to him when he gets old. Now his name is Pastor Pam. We are doing the camp meetings in, uh, in, in their church in Cambodia. We helped them build the church. Brother Nestor helped them build the church there. And uh, we, we helped them build the toilets because it's not common that they have toilets. See? And, the, and see, this is in the farm. And when I was asking about his testimony, I was shocked because he was a former soldier of Pol Pot. He did, never knew that uh, one day he will hear the message of the hour. And when he heard the message, then he said, now I understand why God preserved my life. Now talk about predestinated seed. He could have died right there, maybe in the mid-70s. He was young. He didn't know anything about military strategy. He didn't know how to defend himself. He just shoot people. 
And when I asked him, how many, how many people did you kill? And he said, I don't know, I just shoot. I just shoot. Because he was young. See? But God has a different plan for him. And now he's one of the pastors now preaching the message of the hour in Cambodia. Now, many people could have wrote books about their life, about how they survived the atrocities made by this General Pol Pot, but I think nobody can surpass that kind of testimony. You know why? Because it is a predestinated seed of God that came into the message after many years. Now he's around 55 years old. Okay, he's, he's living a simple life as a farmer. He, had, he has many children, but he loves the Lord and he wants to know more of the message. Now you can just imagine uh, we are we are here sitting comfortably. We are in the Philippines. We are we, we have freedom of religion, uh, but there are people in these places, Buddhist country, that there there are seeds lying there, right? We don't know. We don't know their background. See now. These people, they, they, I mean, uh, it doesn't matter where you came from, it doesn't matter what your background is, how many people you killed, how, uh, how many worst sins you have committed, but if God does a grace for you, right. amen, He will call you one day. Amen. See? And we being a part of this congregation, reaching out for people, like Brother Tim was saying about in, in Uganda and every places, you could, you could just imagine when we reach eternity, you will see these people. And they will say, because of your prayers, because of your support, because of these things, the message came to our way. And now we accepted the Lord. Amen. No? So, so now, uh, I, I, I would just like to connect this, like in Lamentations chapter 3, it said, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I, have I hope. It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because of His compassion fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I think to the to the pastor there in Cambodia, this is very true. He could have died in his younger years, but he still lived. Why? Because God will use him to spread the message in his own country. Amen. Now, talking about hope. What what, what is hope? Okay. Of course, we can look at the dictionary and and define hope. But let let me give you some thoughts about hope. Hope is a joyful expectation of tomorrow. It's a joyful expectation. You expect something and you're joyful expecting that thing. Hope is always future oriented. He had, he, hope addresses the future, not the past. Okay? No matter how dark or negative your past is, hope is always future oriented. It is not where you have been, but where we are going. Right? Hope tells us that our tomorrow will be better than our yesterday and where we are headed will be better than where we came from. So I don't know where you came from, I don't know your past life, you don't know my past life, but it's all in the sea of forgetfulness, of God's forgetfulness, right? God has given us a hope, God has given us a new life, God has given us everything, and in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 8, he said, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. We do not glory in our beginnings, but we glory in our ending. Amen. When we get old and we look back and we say, this is the life that I have lived, then there's glory in it because you can see what the Lord has accomplished in our life. It may not be too big, too popular, but if we have lived the life that God has purposed us to live, then I believe that we can say that we have done our part. Amen. Right? And so, when we speak about Job, 
He had so many experiences in his life. He was blessed by the Lord. He was an upright man. But God allowed Satan to buffet him because, you know, God wants to test his servants. He was very righteous. Now, no problem with Job. Maybe he has problem with his children, but he always interceded for his children. That what, that's what we parents do. We always intercede for our children. Even our children are born in the message, born in the church. They have to be born again. They have to be converted. It doesn't matter if it's my son, I'm a pastor, I have four children. They have to be converted. Otherwise, they will have to experience the same experience as the unbelievers. They are still unbelievers until they are born again. Alright? And so we want to do our best to, to intercede for them, to teach them. Sometimes they go astray, but if we have given them the right foundation, one day they will go back. Alright? So, here is Job. He, he was tested. His faith was tested. Everything happened to him and said, uh, this is, uh, these are the verses that, that seems to be very hopeless for Job. He said, behold, I go forward. I was telling a while ago, we was to move forward. Here's Job trying to move forward. He wants, he go forward, but he's not there. He, he, and, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. So you see, uh, he is in a desperate situation on the left hand. He said, he, "Where he does, will he do his? Where he do his work?" But I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he knows the way. What I take. That is the the consolation. We may not know the way we are going, but God knows the way we take. In other words, He allows it. He allows it for a reason. Sometimes, you, even as I was saying last Friday, even our mistakes, sometimes God allows it. Because it molds something in us. Okay? You may say, oh, I made the right decision. God allowed you to make that right, that, that, I mean, you made the wrong decision. Maybe God allowed you to make the wrong decision, so you will not, so, so you will stop trusting in yourself. See? So, this is, this is Job, but he said, he had the revelation, but God knows the way that he takes. And, let me read to you a quote from the message, God providing healing for his generation. He just preached in 1954. He said, sometimes when we think that we have a few hard trials, just think of that blessed hope that waits for us just outside there. Okay? That when we will return back, that flower become uh, to its pinnacle, to its very heights of beauty, then it begins to fade. It goes back. A seed drops out and it produces life again. Right? He was referring actually to what Job was selling, saying the, the, the uh, opening text. And he said, a man or a woman, when they're born, they raise up to be a young man, a young woman about the age of 20 and 25. That's our pick. Women are, the mo- are most beautiful from 20 to 25. Right? Men are most handsome from 20 to 25. After 25, Brother Branham said, you know, the first thing you know, wrinkles begin to slip under, under the eyes. Hair begins to turn gray. Why? Because death has set in. It has set in, it's going to take us. No matter how strong we are, even though we exercise every day, you bench press 500 pounds every day. It, it has nothing to do with it. See, when, when I was young, I used to, to, to play powerlifting as well. But now I cannot even lift more than 100 pounds because my lower back always aches. See? But when I was young, when I was in my 20s, I can do things that I cannot do now. Okay? But you will think, and even look into the sports world, and you can see every athlete in their peak in their 20s, but after that, 
Some of them get sick. Some of them die young. Some of them, anything can happen. So you cannot boast of your strength. Sometimes you're skillful, right? When I was in the training in the military academy, we used to memorize 700 names of people, of our officers. We are required to, to memorize the first name, the middle name, the last name, the serial number, the address, the home address, and the name of their girlfriends. See? And I was saying, if you cannot memorize, then you get punishment. Why? Because they are training you to have a strong memory. So I can memorize, I can, I know their birthdays, I know there's, there are four serial numbers for each, for each officer, so I have to memorize it very well. And I can memorize it, I can, I can remember it. But that was when I was in my nine, I, I was 1920, 21. See? But now, I cannot even remember my opening text. <laughs> See? See? Brother John will ask me, what is your opening text? So let me look at the notebook. <laughs> That's how our memory it is. It's good when we are young. But time will come, you will, you, you will, you will, you will slowly, slowly deteriorate. See? That's why I cannot boast to the young people that I'm stronger than you are. But remember, the Bible said, the glory of the young people is their strength. But the beauty of the old man is their white hair. See, so uh, we, we become more beautiful when you grow old, right? But you are stronger. You see, these are the things that are, are real to us, see? But you know, God has given us assurance. He said, but God has completed His picture, just what you will be in the resurrection. And what you was about 25, you, you were normal and you were healthy and you were strong, that is what you will be in the resurrection. Oh, th- this is a blessed hope. What I was when I was young, I will become like that and maybe more perfect than before. God has promised that. A confirmation of the promise right here. Now, look at this. Life is full of uncertainty, right? In the message on certain sound, Brother Branham was speaking about the uncertainty of many things. He mentioned about the big four meetings. Uh, these are leaders of the nations trying to meet and doing pledge to keep the peace of the world. But he said the national affairs, it is full of uncertainty. Our health is uncertain. Our riches, our possession, our material belongings, it is uncertain. See? Every time we, we, we think that we have everything, we have insurance, we have everything. No, it can be washed away by a simple incident. We cannot put our trust on these things. We are, we are wise, we, 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 we invest, we prepare, we do not, we do not just eat and do not exercise because this body is corruptible. We know that we are getting weak, we know that we are getting old, but as Brother Ernie always says to me, we will give a hard time to the devil to corrupt our body. See? Well, then some of the young, Brother Vernon, if you believe that your body will be, will, be, uh, will be corrupted one day, why are you still exercising? Because I learned that principle from Brother Ernie, I will give the devil a hard time you know, to lay me down in bed, right? So I need to be strong because I'll be going out on missions. I will eat food that's not familiar in my taste. I will go uh, sometimes on trips without sleep. So you need to be strong. So in other words, what we are doing right now, we are t- 
taking care of our body because we want to fulfill the mission that God has given us. Not because we want to remain strong. Not because we want to, to, to remain intelligent. But we believe that one day God will restore everything that was lost to us. Okay? Now, life is full of uncertainty. Sometimes life uh, will give us uh, circumstances, uh, uh, situation, incidents in our life that may lead you to disappointment. Now, look at this chart for a while. Okay? Sometimes somebody tells you something or you have an expectation that uh, it was not met. Then what will happen to you will experience disappointment. You were disappointed because you expected, right? If you do not expect anything, you will not be disappointed. But we live in a world of expectation. You go to a restaurant, you expect to be served by the waitress or the waiter. If they don't serve you well, you get disappointed. See, you go to the airport and you find out that the, the flight was canceled, then you get disappointed. You don't get happy, you don't get a revival when the plane leaves you in the airport. You see, so it's easy to get disappointed in every day in our life. See, but if this disappointment uh, will not be will not be uh, um, handled properly, it can it can lead to you to being disillusioned, right? And this is a higher level uh, of something. It's not just disappointment. You are disillusioned. You 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 have a perception of something. Now you get disillusioned. And this disillusionment, if it's not handled properly, it will lead to discouragement. So some people they just withdraw. Because they got discouraged. Where did it start from? From a small disappointment. You said something wrong that I was offended. I got disappointed to you. Before I look at you as somebody respectful. Now I was disillusioned. I don't want to respect you anymore. Then later on I'll be discouraged. I don't like you to be my friend anymore. Now if you do not handle this discouragement the way that it should be uh, handled, then it will lead to depression. The first three is an emotional condition. The last, which is depression, is a medical condition. You need to be treated already. Right? But it starts in a very small disappointment. Right? Because life is full of uncertainty. And if you do not have hope in your life, it will progress from disappointment to depression. Now, we are not talking about psychology here. This is the message. Okay? Now, Either you are in the stage of disappointment or in the stage of being disillusioned, discouraged, or depressed, it will always lead you to build a complex to other people. You build a complex to other people. And when you start building a complex to other people, right? Brother Banham talked about complex. He said, you know, uh, maybe an incident can lead to a complex. He said, uh, well, sometimes when he was on a prayer line, he was praying, he said, it was carbon monoxide. You, you, you were able to intake, inhale some carbon monoxide, it damaged your liver and leg, and then you had a complex because of an incident. He had a traumatic experience. Then one day he was also in the prayer line, he said, I saw you when you were young. Okay, and a dog was biting you. It because of that dog, it built a complex on him. But he was his child. So you can just imagine, my brothers and sisters, anything that we have experienced in life that was not handled properly, it can help lead you to building a complex. Right? Even the prophet himself, 
when he preached about standing in the gap, people would not hear his message. And he said, I built myself a complex. This is the prophet of God. But he built himself a complex. Right? Now, we go now to our present day. Sometimes we have family problems. Sometimes we have broken families. Sometimes uh, there's an incident that happened in your life, then you start building a complex against a person. Or sometimes you have a complex that you are more better than the other person, or you are more inferior to other person. I have my wife here with me today, a privilege. Uh, I consider it as a privilege. I could uh, I never imagined that I could bring him, her out of the country. Because uh, we're just an average family in the Philippines. When I, we got married 30 years ago, I, uh, she lives in the northern part of the Philippines. I live in the capital of the Philippines. I brought him from the north to the center of the Philippines. And I thought we will just stay there, get old, heal, live happily ever after, then die. See? But when I came into the ministry, I was able to, uh, when I was invited to Germany, I was able to bring her there because the, the pastor invited her again also, and now she's here with me. I, uh, I had her with me when we went to Cambodia. So it's not business trip, it's not pleasure trip, but I'm, I'm glad that I was bringing her, bringing her in, uh, to meet the brothers and sisters. But you know, I don't want to put her on the spot, but I always preach this. Uh, as an example to our church or in the local churches in the Philippines to see how co- how uh, traumatic experience can make uh, can build a complex in your life. My wife, she's the eldest in her in their family. Um, when she they, when they were still young, uh, of course I don't know know her yet during time. Uh, she, she's she's a, a product of a broken family. Her father left them, and. Um, she grew up with her mother, with her brother, sister, and two brothers. And of course, you may see, you may think that, oh, it's just normal because, you know, people get separated, they get divorced. We have no divorce in the Philippines, but people insist to divorce anyway. So, uh, she grew up in a family condition that I would say it's not normal because the father, but he, he, he was the, she was the eldest and, uh, she, you know, if you have an eld, your eldest is a daughter, is normal, they, they are normally called in the Philippines the papa's girl. You know, she's spoiled in the father and she loves her mother as well as she loves her father. She, her father already passed away many years ago. And so she grew up in this kind of environment. Before her mother and her father got separated, they were always fighting and sometimes the father is hurting the mother. So she, she got this traumatic experience. And so, of course, I didn't know that before. And you know, when you are a teenager and you look at a girl and she's pretty and you said, I will, I love her and I will marry her regardless of the condition. When you get older, you will say, I should have checked her background. <laughs> See? See? Because, because what, in, in, in what environment she grew up, you know, if you are not, you can bring that in your own family. So she grew up in a broken family. When we were not yet believers, I was 23, she was 21, when we got married with our children. And you know, uh, husband and wife, they love each other, but sometimes they have an argument, and this argument becomes a heated argument, and sometimes you start fighting with small things. See, and I saw an attitude in my wife that every time we argue, she wants to leave the house. We were not believers during that time. She will go home, try to go home in there, bringing our two children. And I said, 
why, why will you leave because of a simple argument, right? And later, later on, as I mature, I found out because it's a, she had a traumatic, she built a complex in herself. She, she, she was seeing her father and her mother fighting sometimes, her mother getting hurt, so she doesn't want to get hurt. You know, uh, she might be thinking that I will be hurting her or whatever. So, it is a complex that was built on her. And, and only by the grace of God, when we got, uh, when, when we got, when God got a hold of our hearts and we accepted the message, we became believers. That's the only time that slowly this complex was, was going down. But it, it became a burden to her and to myself because it was a, a complex that was built because of a background of a family when they were young. And if you think that, when you look at that, then it teaches you a lesson. Before I decide as a father, before she decides as a mother, we will always think what will be the effect on our children. Because little did you know that this thing that happens between the father and the mother will affect the future of their children. They might build complexes. Complexes that will affect their future family life. So sometimes the father will, or the children will hate the father. Sometimes the children will hate the mother. Or sometimes they will hate both. See? Now this is something that is very serious. You may know the seven seals, the revelation of the Godhead. You may know the deepest revelation. But if you have a family that is not right, that's a problem. That's a problem. And though we are message believers bound for the rapture, it gives you some problem in the home. If I can preach well and I can bless the people and I go home and there's a family problem, I feel very, very sad. See? So we need to sometimes to go back to the family matters, check it, always recheck it and make sure, make sure that everything is right on track. See? Sometimes we leave the small things behind. But these small things always affect our life. Okay? I have seen many ministers in the past that they, God has used them mightily. But you will see their family is not harmonized. See? And it makes us sad. We cannot judge them. They have their own problems. We have our own problems. But I can say this is how serious it is. If you cannot handle right the disappointments being disillusioned, we need to have hope. Alright? We need to look at the future. We need to look at the bigger picture so we can, when we decide, we can put away this complex. And only the love of God in your heart can break these complexes. Amen. Right? Now, the definition of complex is it is a related group of emotionally significant ideas that are completely or partly repressed and that cause psychic conflict leading to abnormal mental states of behavior. In other words, if we have complexes in our hearts, that means something is abnormal in your life. There's, there's an abnormal mental state or abnormal behavior because you're, you have a complex to another person. See? So we, and we check ourselves, do I have complex with that person? Do I have complex with the congregation? Do I have complex with any people? Now you can say, oh, I'm a believer, I, I, I don't have complex with anybody. You're better than Brother Branham. Brother Branham said he built himself a complex. God, the Holy Spirit has to check him. See? 
See, these, these things, you know, uh, we are not immune in these things. And the prophet said in the message fellowship, he said, you don't get no complex but the blood of Jesus Christ. You get love. If the blood of Christ is reigning in our, in our, in our hearts, see, he said, you get love, not complex. I'm a little bigger than somebody else, little better than somebody else, and know a little more than somebody. You just got your arms around everybody, and it's a basis of love through the blood. Because the blood cleanses. So who can take away the complex? It's not psychology. It's not positive mental attitude. It's not, uh, psychiatric therapy or everything. Yeah, you cannot remove the complex. It's only by the blood of Christ. The life of Christ living in our life. And that when we have that kind of a life, then we can say that we love everybody. It's not easy to like everybody, but we are required to love everybody. Okay? Now, in, in, I, I'd like to connect this in the, in the subject of hope because the reason why people have complex because they tend to to uh, to put their hope in people. If I put my hope on people and they disappoint me, then one day I'll get complex. If I put my hope in the company that I'm working for, then one day if they fail me, I'll get complex. If I put my hope on the pastor, on the on the church. And they fail you. One day you will build a complex. And you have seen people have complex with you. With the ministry. Why? Because they put their hopes. Right? They put their hopes on people. Like what, like what I was telling last Friday. Let's look at the Lord. Not on the person that God is. We respect the people. We give honor to them. Right? But then again. We put our expectations or, 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 or our hope in the Lord. In, the, in another chapter in the book of Job, he said, If I have made gold my hope, or have said to the fine gold, Thou art my confidence. If I rejoice because my wealth was great, and because mine, had got, mine hand had gotten much. If I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart has been secretly enticed, or my mouth has kissed my hand. This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge. For I should have denied the God that is above. See? If we keep on expecting from things of this world, people of this world, then we are denying God. We are denying the value of God. See, I mean, we should be dependent on God. But people like to be independent from God. See? Now... I would like to, 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 to bring you to another chapter in another book. It's in the book of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. That's why he wrote the book of Lamentations. He was a prophet. He cannot help him. He cannot help himself but to see the judgment that is coming to Israel. Now, you know, if you're a prophet and you only prophesy good things, that's good because you become popular. But Jeremiah will never become popular. Because all that he prophesies is judgment, 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 and judgment. Nothing else. If there's a multiple choice from A to D, it's all judgment. So you just have to click all of the above. Alright? So Jeremiah, uh, you read the book of Jeremiah. You know, when you are depressed, the book of Jeremiah is not the best book to read. <laughs> right? Neither the book of Lamentations, because you will be more depressed. I can guarantee you that. Right? So, 
In the book of Jeremiah, I would say that the most depressing chapter is the chapter of the chapter 29. Why? Because in chapter 29, it was being prophesied that they will be in captivity for the next 70 years of their life. That is almost one, that's one generation. If you were born a slave, then you will die a slave. Right? And so, this is, this is the, that, that's why in, if you read Jeremiah 29, it will say, it is said there that, build ye houses. You, you, you dwell with the people there in Babylon. You, 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 you plant vineyards. Pray for the peace of the city. Because you will experience, because you will be there for a long haul. You will not be there for two weeks, three weeks, three months. You will, you will be there for the rest of your life. It's like a life sentence. Is it like, it's like if I will say, Brother John, let's go to the Philippines, but you will not stay in the tropical country, the beach, in the beach resort with the white sand, but you will be there as a slave for the rest of your life. Do you think Brother John will say, Brother Vernon, I'd like to be there? No. Because it's not an excursion, right? You will be there for a long time as a slave. Here is, this is the situation of the Israelites during the time. They will be in Babylon for a long period of time, until they, their children are born there. That's why they said, marry your wives, be there, be settled there, because you'll be there for a long time. That was the prophecy. And that is not very encouraging. That's not very encouraging, right? See? Now, but in the middle of a dark chapter, in a dark book, in a depressing book, there's a depressing chapter, but there is a light of hope in a single verse. Right? And this is seen in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. He said, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Hallelujah. Say the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Translate it into modern English. He was, uh, Jeremiah, the Lord was saying, for I know my plans for you. To give you a future and a hope. Right? Amen. He is the planner. He has the plan. Okay? He knows what he's trying to do. Okay? He knows what he's trying to do. He, he, here is, here is Jeremiah, he was crying when seeing the prophecy, but then the Lord went in and said, I have, I have plans for you. Okay? It, this, this is a well-lighted verse in a very dark chapter, in a very dark book. Okay? And chapter 29 speaks about, uh, uh, as I said, the prophecy of the years of Kavadi, but verse 11 was a hope in the middle of a hopelessness, uh, hopeless situation. God has in His thought what was good for His people, His chosen people, and what the end will be. It was a plan of the well-being of Israel. And the planner of this was God Himself. Now, after World War II, you know, I don't know if you know, everybody knows, but in the history of World War II, um, the Japanese, one of the last strongholds of the Japanese was the middle part of the Philippines. And so after the war, all the, they called it the Yamashita gold, all the spoils from other countries, from the Southeast Asia, they brought it to the Philippines. And there, in that place where General Mac, Douglas MacArthur went back, and you know, they, they liberated the Philippines from the Japanese, uh, occupation. And so these soldiers died in those islands with the spoils of war. And so they buried it. They buried it in the lands, 
in the soils of the Philippines. And you know, it's not a legend, it's true that there were gold Yamashita treasures during those times. And there are many who came out with the, they said they have the map or the plan where the treasures of Yamashita was buried. And you know, like, like the modern times, there are fake news. There are also fake maps during those times. So if you, you were able to handle the fake maps, then you'll just get lost, right? And you'll never find the gold for the rest of your life. So these maps were, were spreading and, never, and spreading. Now in the early 1970s, there was a Japanese soldier who came to the Philippines and he said he went to a group of Filipinos having a map where the treasure is laid and they said, this is the map, we will go there. And the Japanese said, no, that's not the way. And they were arguing with this group of uh, Filipino treasure hunters because they believed that the map was genuine. But the, the Japanese said, your map may be genuine, but I was the one who buried the gold. Right. <laughs> you have the plan, but I was the planner. Yeah. In other words, I will go to the planner, jump to the plan. Yeah. Now here, God is the planner. I will not go in the plan of man. I will go directly to the planner of our life. If something goes wrong in my life, I will go back to the planner. Lord, what is your plan for me? I don't care about the plan of the people. I don't care what will others say. But I will go to the plan of God. Amen. Because He knows what is good for us. He will give us an expected end. Alright. Okay. And, but, but there's not, this is not just the, uh, the thing. There is a requirement. Alright? It goes in the next verse. He said in verse 12 and 13, Then shall ye, shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye search me with all of my heart. So, he, God was actually telling, I have a plan for you, but you have to seek for me. You have to search me with all your hearts. In other words, God was asking, requiring for our undivided attention. If you want to know my plan, God is saying, I need to get your attention. You cannot just get the plan and don't care about the person. You know, I, God wants to give us the plan, but first we, we need to know the person of the planner. Right? A lot of people in the world waits or, or, or wants to know the plan of God, but they don't want to be connected to the maker of the plan. They want the benefits of Christian life without following or submitting to the word of God. They want prosperity. They want social gospel, that they, but they don't want to be corrected or rebuked by the word of God. See, the person who planned and the plan itself, they're intrinsically connected to each other. You cannot remove the plan away from the planner. So if you want the plan, you have to get the planner first. You have to know the requirements. Many people like uh, to be a part of uh, Christianity, but want, uh, don't want to be a full-time Christian. But they want to have a full-time God. Yeah. Right? The, the, uh, the dev, uh, they don't want to be ruled by God uh, in their life. They just want uh, to, you know, just, just pick up the benefits. Okay, so God has to put them in a, in a difficult situation. Okay, God has to put these Israelites in a difficult situation under a Babylonian rule, under a pagan rule with a pagan government, alright, with a pagan culture, under a pagan pressure. Right. Why? Because God was trying to get their attention. 
It was like the tender hand of Jehovah in the times of Hitler because God wanted to get the attention of the Jews. For them it was, oh, what kind of a God that will allow this? But we, had the, we have the revelation. It's the tender hand of Jehovah because He wants to get our attention. So sometimes when God wants to get our attention, okay, if we want, if, if, if God wants to get our attention, He'll put you in a situation put us in a situation that we will be desperate. So the planner of the journey of our journey knows our end. He knows our destiny. See? Now the journey may be rough for a while. It may, you know, some bumps here and some bumps there, but the end will be good. Okay? In our life, uh, there are rough times financially, materially, right? In our career, in our business, in our married life, in our family, even in the ministry. You think if you, when I, when I was young, I thought if I became a minister, I will be friends with all the ministers of the world. <laughs> right? And Brother Ernie used to tell me, uh, if you be uh, in the ministry, will you think that you'll be in a big fellowship, but eventually you'll find out you'll be in a big battleship. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not a big fellowship after all. Right? You're fighting with fellow ministers because of doctrines. You know, you know how Brother Ernie puts the rhyme in each other. Yeah. And it makes sense, right? Now, why will God allow this? You know, because He, uh, the reason why God allows this is because He wants to get our undivided attention. Now, let me bring you to another part of the scriptures. It, 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 this is in Second Chronicles chapter 15. He said, it, this is the time of Asa, the king of Judah. And he says here, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went to meet Asa and said to him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. The Lord is with you if you are with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. It's always conditional, right? Now for a long season... Israel has been without a true God. It didn't say that there was no God, but there was no true God. They, were, they are without a teaching priest. It didn't say that they didn't have any priests or ministers, but there was no teaching priest. Right? And they are without a law. You know, if people will live without a law, we will do things which is right in our own eyes. Right? Because there is no law to govern us. So this is... This is a, a fantastic combination if you want to be in chaos. You allow, if you, you, if you live a life without a true God, if you live a life without a teaching minister, and if you live life without the law of God in your life, it will be a chaos in your life. Alright? So this is the scenario here. They are in total chaos. But look at this next verse. He said, but when they are in trouble, when they are in trouble, okay? They did turn unto the, unto the Lord of God of Israel and sought Him, and He was fond of them. Right. See? And in those times, there was no peace. To Him that went out or no, no came in, but great vexations was upon all the inhabitants of the countries, and nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, and for God did vex them with all adversity. Right. So this is a situation that there's no peace in the land. Either you go out or you go in, there's always vexation of the Spirit. And who was the source of this vexation? 
Was it the politicians? Was it the armed forces or anything? Or was it economic problem? No. It was God Himself who caused this adversity. And why will He do it? Because people don't like to follow the Lord. See? If He refused to obey and to submit to the Lord, then He will give us over to the enemy. In the Old Testament, we have the, what we call the active wrath of God. If you make a mistake, fire will come down from heaven. Flood will flood the earth. Water will flood the earth, right? You will die, the earth will open and it will eat you. That is how the wrath of God is displayed in the Old Testament. But if you go to the New Testament, particularly in Romans chapter 1, and we'll read the verse, verses in 22, 23, it says, He gave them to their lustful desires. He gave them, He allowed the people to go astray, because they don't want to follow. You will not be judged immediately, but that is already the start of judgment. Because He is allowing you to go. It was not His perfect will, it is a permissive will. And whenever we go to the permissive will of God, we suffer the consequence of our action. And so here it is, God vexed them with all adversity. Because they don't want the teaching priest. They don't want the law. They refuse to follow the Lord. See? They don't want to serve the true God. They want to serve their idols. They want to to listen to ministers who will, you know, you will give good words and encourage them and tell them that the Lord loves them. And we know that, that's true. But there's the other side of preaching. And sometimes the other side of preaching, which is rebuking, correcting, instructing, is better. Because it's the one that transforms our life. And sometimes when you do that, when sometimes when I preach to other churches back home, and you start to preach a little bit harder, then that is the first and the last time you will be invited. See? Because they want just, you, you go there, just, just encourage the people, you know, just dance a little, sing a little. But that's not, that's not a message preacher. We have the anointing of the Elijah of the last days, and you know, the ministry of Elijah is restoring the altar. He has to restore our hearts back to the hearts of the, to the heart of the Lord. And so God will give us to a point of desperation. So we will bring out what's really inside of us. In the message of desperation, He said, usually it takes a state of emergency to throw us into desperation. Now it's too bad it has to happen. But human beings are so slothful, so lazy in their mind, that it takes an emergency you know, to just, to just keep pumping their adrenaline. Sometimes something arises and when they do, it throws them into that depression, desperation. And really in doing that in desperation, it brings out that real thing that you are. Okay? It shows what you're made out of in the time of desperation. We will not, our true colors will not come out during happy days. Right? When you, when you are joyful, everybody is joyful. When you have no problems, you are always smiling, right? But you are, if, if you are in a state of desperation, uh, it brings out what you are really made of. It usually pulls out all the good thing that is in you. That's why in the time of Asa, the, uh, the Word of God says, in the time of trouble, they go to the Lord. Why? Because they believe that there's only one hope. And that hope is the Lord, 
What was the, what was the Lord trying to do? He was breaking us up from our independence from God. Right. To the point that we will desperate, uh, uh, that, that we will be desperate enough for Him. Amen. So that we may give our attention to Him. So that we may get the benefits from Him. Right? So, this is the plan. God has a plan for us. It's workable. It is achievable. It is, uh, it is a revival plan. But you can only see this kind of plan of the Lord if we will seek Him with all our hearts. It is not just open your Bible, just read your early uh, morning devotion, but you have to meditate upon the Word. Think about it. Put it in your heart. Apply it in your life. That is, that is, that is the meaning of searching it with all your heart. Amen. Now, let's go back to Jeremiah in uh, a few minutes we'll be closing. He said, in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 14, he said, And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into a place whence I cause you to be carried away captive. In other words, they will be going back to the promised land. Alright? Some of them will never see this happen. Right? But there is, this is the, the, the expected end that the Lord has planned for them. Uh, this red letter word signifies the the, the nature of uh, restoration, right? You know, this message that we enjoy is a message of restoration. Whatever happens in our life, God can restore it. See, the, the nature of hope means that He can give what you lost. Or what you thought you have lost. Even it was your fault that you lost it. It was your fault, it was your mistake. It was your mistake that your family was broken. It was your mistake that you were kicked out from your job. But God can restore everything if you will search Him with all of your heart. I have a brother in the church. He is he, one of the elders of our church. Okay. I don't, I don't want to give fictitious examples. So allow me to give you actual example. But I will not give names. Right. Now this this brother in our church, he... He was assisting me in my ministry many years ago. He has a fine family, children, a fine wife, fine uh, children who grew up in the message. And one day, you know, the devil will not allow you always to be in a happy family, right? So, testing came in. And the wife left the husband, went with another man. So how can... how? So you can imagine, brothers, if your wife leaves you and goes with another man. And it is a desperate situation. He was depressed, totally depressed. He was not just discouraged, he was depressed. He doesn't want to continue with the Lord anymore. He said, I've been serving the Lord for many years in my life. And this is what I got. And of course it affected the children. They stopped attending the church. They went on their own way. And I was encouraging the brother, just continue to, to attend the church. And every time he attends, he sits at the back and you just listen and you know. But you can, send, you can see in his face, nothing was registering in his, in his mind. Because how can you rejoice? Everybody's clapping, praising the Lord, and he has a heavy heart. But every time he goes home, nobody's there. Right? And it, it didn't 
last for two or three weeks, it lasts for more than two years. And all while I was telling him, just pray to the Lord, just pray to the Lord. And he said, shall I get me another wife? No, I said, just wait on the Lord, just pray. The perfect will of the Lord is that you will be restored to one another. Now it may seem impossible, because he went with another man. And one day after more than two years, this brother got sick in the hospital. He was in the hospital, and the wife, the former wife, knew about the brother, who uh, his former husband who got in the hospital. And he was still in a relationship during the time, but the Lord, the Holy Spirit was dealing in his heart, in her heart, I mean. You know, when you start, the prophet said, when you start praying for a person, he becomes restless. He may not know that you're praying for him or her, but they become restless. So something was happening, stirring in the heart of the sister, that he wants to leave that filthy relationship and go back to her husband. But she cannot go back because, you know, so many things has transpired. But then he said, I want to, because he's not been, I mean, the relationship with this new uh, uh, partner is not it's not a legal uh, relationship. So he said, I, I want to stop this. This is this is pure adultery, and you know that no adulteress will go to heaven, right? So he, she made the decision and she went to the hospital where his brother, where, his, uh, where this brother or his former husband uh, was confined, and then I went there to visit to pray for the brother, and she was there, and I talked to her. And I said, what is your plan in your life? Do you want to continue with living in sin and hoping that when rapture comes, you can ask for forgiveness? And just like that, and she was crying and said, I want to go back to my husband. And then I know, I know how the brother feels. He doesn't want to accept the wife anymore. So separately I talked to the, to the, to the brother and said, what is really in your heart? He said, I want my family to, re- to be restored. But the problem is, of course, you know, the human side, you don't want to accept your wife anymore. But I said, uh, have you heard the story of Hosea? <laughs> right? You know, the wife of Hosea did it more than once. Right? Now, it's the Spirit of God is in you. The only solution in, a, in this type of case is forgiveness. You forgive her. Forgive her. If you don't want her to go back to you, just forgive her. You know, when she forgave her wife, everything just was lifted up. And she accepted back his wife. And now they're they're living and serving the Lord. There's nothing impossible with the Lord. Because the message that we believe in is a message of restoration. Though it seems impossible that there will be restoration of family, that is a living example. And I, I, I am testifying that, that not to put the people, uh, you know, on the spot, but to tell you that the Lord is still dealing with the relationships. It doesn't stop when it stops. Sometimes God's put you in a test. And I said, maybe the Lord gave you that, that, that kind of trial because He knows that you can stand that trial. Maybe He didn't give me that kind of trial because I cannot stand that trial. So there are different kinds of testing that we will experience in our life. But the point is, the intensity are all the same. Right? Now, the, the, the thing here is, we always look at the end. That is what is happening at present. 
If I look in the end, God will restore what needs to be restored. Hallelujah. Amen. See, that is restoration. That's the nature of hope. That the, 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 you know, God can pick all your mess in life and turn it into a miracle. Hallelujah. He can, he can, he can take the, the wrong things of your life and make it right. So I, I, I will encourage you this morning, don't give up. Don't throw your towel. The battle is not over. When I was playing boxing when I was young, my coach will tell me always, if I get knocked down, if you didn't hear the bell, keep on fighting. Keep on standing up. Because you haven't heard the bell yet. In other words, the battle is not over. We will not let Satan win this battle. If it destroys our work, if it destroys our health, if it destroys our relationship, you have not heard the, the bell rung yet. Yes? See, stand up and fight for what is yours. That is the hope that we have in our life. Amen. If we have that kind of hope, we have that kind of hope. We can always stand every time we are knocked out, knocked down. And you can always move forward. You may look that God is not there, God is not here. All the people are not supporting me. But you know, God has a plan for you. To give you an expected end. Hallelujah. And this is something that you can hope for. We are looking in the light. We have hope in the light of our destiny. I'm not hoping because, you know, people are here. We are there. People promise to support you. People like this and like that. You know, I'm hoping because, I'm hoping because I'm looking at my destiny. And I know if I'm part of the bride of Christ, everything will be end peaceful in the end. Okay, I may have a rough life all the days of my life. Maybe because, as I said last Friday, because of the consequence of the wrong things that I've done in my life. But I know in the end, in the end, everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. See? But you know, sometimes, now I'll be closing on this. Sometimes, it's not just the Lord dealing with you. Sometimes He uses a person. Have you ever heard the, the, the saying, uh, sometimes if, uh, you get so tired in a job, you know, you, nobody's appreciating what you're doing. Sometimes you need a little pat on the back. Right? You need a little pat on the back. Because, you know, being, in the, being a pastor, being a ministry is a hard thing. Sometimes you do things for the people and people don't appreciate you. And sometimes people... Uh, not just appreciate, but uh, sometimes they even talk negative things about you, right. right? And sometimes you just keep on doing something for the Lord. And it seems that nobody's seeing it. So you feel, you know, you feel disappointed. And sometimes you lose hope and you stop doing. Because that's what the devil wants you to do. To stop doing what you're doing for the Lord. See? And let me share it to you. This is my personal testimony. Because this is connected because I'm Cloverdale, Right? I will not be testifying this into the other church because it has no connection with them. The month was May, the year was 2002, and the date was May 22. Okay? Now, because I told you I, I keep on forgetting things already, I have with me a paper. This is a letter, actually. It's already yellowish because this was sent to me in May 22, year 2000. It's a two-letter page. And at the back, it is signed, Brother Ed Biska. Okay? This is a letter of Brother Ed Biscal to me. Brother Biscal, our pastor here. 
in May 22, 2000, this was, I was just two years or a year maybe in, in, in managing Bible believers. But it was my third year in the ministry when I started preaching. And you know, Brother, Brother Branham said that if you are three years, the first three years of your ministry, it's like, it's, it's a roller coaster ride, yeah? But if you pass that first three years, you will live by its reputation. So it was hard, there was, uh, there was points of discouragement. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to stop in the ministry and just go back to the, uh, former job that I was doing because I'm doing good at that and I said maybe I was not called for the ministry then this letter came this letter came by mail snail mail, not the email right, now because this was 2000 you know <laughs> this is old, this is 70, uh, 19 years old and he was he, he quoted here, I will not read the whole letter but this particular words that ministered into my heart when he wrote this I don't know if brother Ed still remembers this, but I have it in my Bible always. So, he was quoting Brother Barnum in the Sixth Hill, how he was giving a, a little rose to Brother Orman Neville. Right? He said, he will, I will not give him a bouquet when he dies, but I would like to give him a little rose right now. Then he said, in this specific paragraph, he said, I have so much appreciated your... This is Brother Ed speaking to me now. I have so much appreciated your dedication and untiring labors for the Lord as you have faithfully given yourself to the calling of God in your life. Now remember, I haven't met Brother Ed during this time. We only talk by phone. And that's only, I think, once only in this time. And although I do not express my thoughts to you in this way as much as I should, I want to give you a little rose now, in quotation. And tell you that your ministry of the bride to the bride of Christ in the Philippines has not gone unnoticed by myself. Now, it might not mean to anything, but for me, hearing from him who started the, the office in Bible Believer, it meant a lot for me. And not only that, it was a time that I was very depressed, I was discouraged. It was the right words at the right time. And this is the words in italics. He said, most importantly, God cease so it's not about others people appreciating you say you did this it's good see a part of the back but he said God says and that turned over everything no I said maybe when when brother Ed was telling me his secretary to type this out maybe he didn't know about what my situation but it was God dealing with me through him God was working in both ends I needed something the inspiration came from here the letter came to me, and now it's still with me. Amen. Now why will I put this in my Bible? Because when times come, the hard time comes, and nobody wants to talk to you. Yeah. Nobody wants to pat your back. No. Nobody wants to tell you that God is you. I can go back to the letter and yeah. said, most importantly, God sees. And that's what I want to leave to you this morning. We have hope. And whatever we have done for the Lord, don't worry if nobody appreciated it. Nobody, uh, nobody tell you that you did a good thing. Nobody patted you on the back. But most importantly, God saw what you did. See? God saw us. And God does, we will never have an Alzheimer's disease to forget the things you have done. He will always remember the things you have done for Him. And the little things that we have done here, it will be magnified in heaven. See? That's our trophy. That's our trophy. See? So, our hope 
is in the Lord. Our hope is in God will use uh, man to encourage us. But still, even this letter that I received from Brother Ed, I believe, it came from the Lord. He was an instrument, but it came from the Lord. Amen. See? So, you know, one day sometimes people will talk to you. You don't know from where, whoever they are, but they will start giving you encouragement. Start reiterating that there is hope. Don't falter. Don't stop. The battle is not over. The battle is not over. Our hope is in the Lord. Hallelujah. Can we now stand, please? And uh, maybe, uh, can I ask the musicians to come over, please, and ask Brother Ryan. I'd like to sing the song. I sang a while ago, My Hope is in the Lord. I think it's much fitting for us. Amen. That our hope is in the Lord. Hallelujah. I'll just let the musicians sing because that's not my ministry. <laughs> Let's all pray first as the musicians are getting ready and just, just commit everything to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have thoughts for us, you have plans for us. We have been in desperate situation. We have been... In discouraging moments, oh God, we have disappointments. We have been disillusioned by our environment. Sometimes things go wrong in our relationship. Sometimes things go wrong in our jobs, in our business, even in the ministry. But Lord, you have exhorted us today. You have encouraged us today that there is hope in the light of our destiny. And as David said, my soul wait upon you, for my expectation is from the Lord. We do not expect from people. We expect, Lord, from you. And we believe, Lord, that you can use people. You can use others to encourage us. Like us, I was able to testify how Brother Ed Biscal ministered to my heart many years ago when I was in a depressed situation. He does not even know me during that time, personally. But you used him. And I believe all of us have that kind of experience. That sometimes these people will be used by you, O God. To encourage us in a time of hopelessness. Thank you, Lord, for that blessed hope that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for revealing to us our expected end. And I believe, Father God, that from this day on, we'll always stand toe-to-toe with each other. Fighting our battles in life. Because we believe that there's always hope ahead of us. I commit to you, my brothers and my sisters, Lord, and continue to bless us, Father God, as we uh, take a break today and uh, continue our service tonight. May you continuously speak to us, Father. This is our prayer as we bring back to you the honor, the glory, and the thanksgiving in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody say, Amen. 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 Hallelujah. God bless you all. God bless you all.